we all kind of know maybe I shouldn't spend more because I should be saving and I should right. be investing in my future. But the beauty of planning is once you quantify what your needs are, then you get to actually spend more today. Right. We needed a reset. We needed a shakeup. Home prices were going through the roof. Crypto was going through. It's almost like anything you touched was making yeah. money and it created a lot of bad habits. It did. You don't want to go in one direction forever without some level of pain because that creates humility and it creates discipline. The goal is always to be sprinting. At any point in time, once we catch our breath, we will sprint. You yeah. got to have access to cash and you get it when you don't need it because when you need it, nobody will late. give it to you. It's too late. We can only get so far with TikTok and social media giving us information. It doesn't give you anywhere near enough to get it right. Well, y'all, welcome back to the Risky Assets Podcast. This is a episode I'm really excited about. Wanted to welcome John Vance. John, thank you for coming, man. Hey, really for, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. really excited. So this is a unique one for me because most people I've known for years, and I've known you for like an hour. Yeah, literally right? so. met last week. Right? <laughs> so but pretty crazy. When we talked, I think we just had a lot of uh, commonality and maybe some of the same shared visions for how our company should look and wanted to get you on the podcast and not stranger, but pretty damn close, you know. So anyway, I'm fascinated. I know we talked a lot of like structure the business, but I never got the history of how you came to own Vance Wealth. Okay. So give us the rundown. Like, where did you start? How did it look? How did you get to be an owner in Vance Wealth? Okay, or great the owner. Yeah, great question. Yeah. So uh, actually this month, so February uh, marks the 20-year anniversary of our company. So Phenomenal. that's pretty exciting. That's amazing. Uh, pretty cool, I guess, benchmark to hit as a company. Of course. And, and you know, our success, it took so long to get here. And I, I really, you know, I'll kind of reflect back on some of the things that we've accomplished over the last 20 years. But, you know, essentially when I was 28 years old, I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I went okay. out on my own. I had five years of prior experience in the financial services area. But I just knew I wanted to really run my own business and you know build my team and then be able to work and serve the clients. Of course, that, you know that really like I think touched my heart and and really are you know I guess unique to how I look at the world and the type of people that I want to help and serve. Okay, so that's those were really how we got started. And at twenty eight, did you feel like previous to that you were like a entrepreneur in in waiting, or was it something that you were like, hey, I feel like I can do it different and I'll become an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think if you if you had my mom sitting here, she'd probably say like, you were always geared for this. Sure. You were going to either be a banker or an accountant or something. You always were focused on just money and sure. investing. And so I think that I think that I, I had that proclivity in terms of understanding finance and wanting right. finance. But I don't. I think the entrepreneurial component of it, I looked at things differently than the the company I was at. So it just kind of got me to say, you know what, I got to go do this on my own right. so that I have full control of what the outcomes look like and then the people that I want to serve. That sounds similar to me. I didn't feel like I was going to be an entrepreneur. I just thought I was going to work a job, do a good job at saving and just sail off in the sunset. But I had the same thing where I was like, I can do this different. Maybe I can, you know, create a vision that I can follow. And then I still feel like I'm a training entrepreneur because I just wasn't what I was, I thought born to do. So it's fascinating. And then at 28, you decide, all right, it's time for me to go. You start Vance Wealth. Just you? Yeah. So it was just me. Uh, crazy timing. Uh, my wife had uh, was quitting her job at the same time because we had our daughter was on you know, our first daughter was okay. going to be born a month later. So basically, kind of tackling an already probably daunting task yeah. of being an entrepreneur, but then also realizing we're going to lose one of our incomes and then <laughs> and then introduce a, a life into this world. So, yeah. So pretty scary, but it's also I think I tend to function better under pressure. So it's kind of like light a fire and go. And a lot of that. I think a lot of that um, hustle that you have to have as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, it was kind of forced upon you. And so, yeah, I got started. It was just me. And um, I had to hire an assistant for like 20 hours just to help with some paperwork. Of course. And then, you know, now fast forward 20 years later, we have 18 employees. And But it was, you know, it was really one employee at a time. Our growth has been, I'd say, pretty consistent, but it was slow. I mean, it, sure. we, where we are today, it's it's really fun to reflect back. But it, it was it was definitely a journey. Now. I know uh, it's been 20, almost 20 years, you got 18 people. When we talked, it seemed like you were ramping up. It seemed like, okay, you had this like, I would say slow, steady, positive climb. It seems like you want to double down. It seems like you really want to push the pedal down to grow faster. Yes, that is very true. And so one of the challenges that I have to balance as being a financial planner is uh, you want to do, you want to grow in a smart way. Because the last thing you want to do is you're managing people's finances and giving sure. them advice about how to kind of win this long and steady race of investing and how to how to really be approach things more of a marathon than right. a sprint. Right. And so I was always I've always been a little too, a little concerned with growing too fast, 
with the idea that if you grow too fast, you might have to lay people off and you might have to grow and then contract. And so I really had this more methodical, disciplined approach around how to grow the business. Sure. And so the other reality that's really challenging and unique to entrepreneurs is that when you have a growing family, your family and your business are fighting for the same dollars. So true. So when you bring in whatever that number is, your business needs to have that reinvested to hire staff and to grow, but your family has needs around school and and even family vacations and all that. Buying a home, like they're all bigger car. Yeah, we're all we're all fighting for those same resources. And I think that's a I think that's a challenge that entrepreneurs really share. And I know everyone does share that path, but the but that's why I think our growth has been very purposeful, very methodical because um, when we, when we started, we had to, we, we, we couldn't just overspend because then that was at the expense of my family. And of so, course. And it's like you had one kid. Yeah. How many? Well, I have two now and then I have four <laughs> stepkids. So, right. so between us, uh, you know, we've got a pretty large household of six and so, um, or six kids and they're, they're all now getting older. We have, you know, teenagers, a few out of the house already, but in terms of coming back to that growth question. So once we hit this critical mass of, we have a pretty well-developed team. Uh, our advice model was pretty clear. Our revenue streams were a lot more consistent. Sure. Now it actually gave me that ability to say, okay, my family's taken care of. I'm saving a, a healthy amount of money. And now what? And so that's now allowed me to have more of a growth mindset mm-hmm. that says, okay, what can we do next? How can we help more people? How can I build a team where, you know, I love attracting young people to the, come to the company and have a that's career path. Yeah. I don't want to have turnover. I want to I want to find the right people and I want to be able to have a company where they can they can grow and mature and make a really good living. And so you can't do that unless you have a growth mindset. And so of we're course. at that point now where we've been reinvesting heavily. And so I feel like we're, it's almost like we're going to have the spring effect of where, you know, we've been growing in a, a pretty good manner, but now we're going to have the spring effect where we're really going to jump forward, which is exciting. It's so exciting. So on our end, we're balancing the other way where I've been like, no, grow it as fast as you can. Sprint until you're tired. That's always kind of been my mindset. So we're sprinting, and then we hit a point. Now we're, we're going to merge with another agency, so that actually is going to help us with cash flow, and it's going to help us with maybe some sustainability and um, a little bit more resource. But we had to look at it and go, we can't take on any more people. You know, we're already pushing ourselves so far, but we sprinted to the end. And it, it meant uh, once or twice we went without paychecks, you know, the, my business partner, Daniel, and I. But... In our mind, we were like, okay, that's how we want to go, but maybe not as far. Uh, so we're trying to balance the like, maybe be a little bit more conservative and not so. So the sprinting is now done. The sprinting. So now, we're, so now we're what about like a the gallop. five and ten year we're, plan? Is we're it? still going to sprint when we feel like we're ready to sprint again. Okay. At, at, at any point in time, once we catch our breath, we will sprint. And maybe not as far as we did to the deep end this time, but the goal is always to be sprinting, always to be hiring young people. I think the other part that gets missed is that. Yeah, money is a part of the the young person in the training, but time is the other one. Uh, right now, that falls heavily on my shoulders because I'm the one training staff. I would love to offload that, but it's my company. I want it done a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that also requires my time commitment, which takes away from some of the other things I want to be doing. So we're constantly even now playing the shuffle game. And what does that look like for the best use of my time? That part gets really daunting. And I think entrepreneurs all come up against it and go, how many hours can I commit to training? How long does it go? When does it stop? You know, that I think hinders people as well. Well, and you have some, sometimes you're faced with this issue of, all right, if I just do it myself, I can do it faster and maybe yes and more no. efficiently. And, yes and but no. then uh, that only goes so far. Correct. But then the flip side of that is if you're spending too much time at the office or training, then now your family, My family is not getting yeah. it. So it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really this ongoing balance of being focused. And one of the things that I've done recently was really trying to be mindful of like, when are my work days, which we, I call more focus days mm-hmm. or days where I'm really working. And then mm-hmm. what are my free days? And am I truly free? Am I still checking email? I don't if know you if you actually do it. go back and it. look, <laughs> it's, you, it's harder than you think. Oh, I haven't done that in four or five years. I always have my phone on me. Even when I'm on vacation, I'm like, I still have my phone. I yeah. can still check emails. I can still forward stuff. Maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day. That just sounds way too uncomfortable. Uh, it does. For me, I would rather be on the pedal and knowing where things are at, but everyone's different. And I like having, I have more hours where it's like in the morning, I'll read, I'll just kind of check out and then I'm back. That yeah. is all I'm comfortable with. But anyway, so we get to the place now where we're 20 years down the road. We talked, even asked me what's five, 10 years look like from now. You're looking to grow. What does the 10 year vision look like for you? Where do you see yourself revenue wise, people wise, um, all that good stuff? Okay. So, you know, these numbers are fluid, but, you know, this past year we did about 4 million of revenue. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you know, my first year of revenue, we did a hundred thousand. So, right. You can, it's it yeah, a long exactly. time to yeah. get to that. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that was, uh, we were talking to our team that year prior, we actually grew by a million dollars in one year of revenue. So it took That's me, phenomenal. it took me like 10 years to get to that first million. And then, uh, in 2001, we grew by a million in that year. And that's all been organic. We haven't, we haven't acquired anybody. Right. It's well, all been like one client at a time, getting the right people on board. And so 4 million in revenue is where we currently are about a half a billion in assets that we oversee and our head counts around 18. Okay. So when we fast forward out, you know, I keep trying to push bigger and faster, right? So and then my team is trying to hold me back, like, okay, let's be, <laughs> let's be more reasonable with this. But when I look at it, I, I do know our, our next um, goal we're trying to hit is, is 10 million of revenue, yeah. which we think our team will be about 30. We'll probably be managing um, about one and a half billion of assets. And so, and the significance to us in hitting these numbers, I know we just throw these numbers out. I was like, what does that really mean? Well, mm -hmm. for us, it means we can help more people of course, one of the things that I learned really early on in this path, I thought it was I was going to have a small business. I thought it was truly going to be me, mm -hmm. maybe one good advisor and like two or three support staff. We'd be five. We'd be happy. It'd kind of be more of a lifestyle business. Right. But we made that transition when I looked at, well, if we take that approach, I'm capped at who I can serve. Correct. And then I also am limiting the growth of my team because if we're not growing, then how am I going to develop young people? And so that just kind of that flipped us over to saying, you know what, we're going to grow because that's how I can really have an attractive company. Of course. To for people to come work and then we can make a bigger impact on the community. So 10 million in revenue is our next interim. When I look at 10 years from now, though, I think that's too low. I think we should hit that in like five or six years. Um, Love it. And but I then then the next then the next number is 25 million and maybe 100 employees. So it starts to get scary, though, when you're when you're running a tight business, and you know, <laughs> everyone, you know, all your clients. Yeah, these bigger numbers, it starts to hurt my head. Like, what is this going to look like? Right. How do I how do I envision that future version of our company? And right. we're still working through some of those nuances. That's what every I mean, those are all major steps in doing things different too in a business, you can't treat a small business and a small medium, medium to large, like they all have to act different. And so I totally get that. Even our next venture in adding an agency, all people I don't know, all people have done things different. You know, how does it mesh? And I want to recreate that. Those are all what ifs, unknowns. How does it work? How does it function? But our main goal is to hire young people and train them, which is what we align in because that for me is long term. Also, you think about who am I going to sell it to in the future? I'd like it to be those young people that I trained up. And keep the Greyhawk name alive for a long time, and not just go to private equity and be done. Yeah, you know, so there is part of that. And you get to get to control the experience, and hopefully not have to just focus on undoing bad habits. Correct. You can actually train <laughs> the right way. Exactly. And, and, that, that's, and, that, and that's one of the things we focus on with the young people is, and I don't, I, I'm happy to share this with you, but we we build out a career path, and we mm -hmm. say, okay, this is what a career path looks like. This is probably the typical time frame, but everyone has to set their own phase. We have an advisor on our team who we thought it was going to take eight years to get there. He got there in five. And then, you know, we might have somebody on the team in the future that we think it's eight years to get there in 12. We sure. don't, that's their own path that Correct. they want to take, and we're okay with that. Uh, but the reality is when we set that up, we, we do talk early on in this career, we're going to be investing heavily in you with training mm -hmm. and resources, and your income might not grow as fast as you want in the first five years, but that's where the exponential growth then comes after that is because you put that hard work in, of course, kind of that law of, you know, you need to have 10,000 hours to be really proficient. Yeah. And it's like, that's a five year, that's work hard for five Minimum. years. And yeah. then, then you start really can get that compounding growth and, and have and insurance is the same way. It's that snowball, right? It takes a long time for that snowball to grow. But once it's big enough, it gets going down the hill fast. And you know, my income really took off for me after year four. And where it's real money, not just like, all right, I'm doing well enough to pay my bills and maybe buy a new car. It was like houses and I can take my wife on vacation. She doesn't have to work anymore. So insurance very much follows what you guys do. Now, as far as Vance Wealth, what is a core strength of yours that you feel like um, you have? Because insurance agencies are everywhere and people think they're all the same. I'm assuming financial planners, it kind of gets that like, oh, it's just another financial planner. We know it's not like that. Um, so what do you feel like is your core strength that kind of separates you from the rest? Yeah, I, I think the biggest area is that we are a planning firm first and then investments kind of second. And sure. Not in order of importance, but where you need to start the conversation. Too often when people hear what I do, they'll come to me and ask for investment advice right. or stock advice or whatever that is. And we always take this approach that if we don't know what your goals are, if we don't know where you're heading – we cannot advise investments mm -hmm. because we don't know what what the what the goal what the goal line is. Sure. If we don't understand what that is, we can't do our job. So when we talk about planning, 
we focus on goals-based planning. We do a lot of tax planning. That's definitely an area where we're more unique because I think people are really, they have a hungering, uh, 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 they have a hunger, excuse me, for trying to make sure that they're not overpaying in taxes. And so especially I'm in the business same boat. owners, oh, right? yeah. they want to make sure, okay, I'm, I'm going to pay my fair share, but how do I maximize what, yeah, my dollar? How do, how do I do that? And mm-hmm. so that's definitely an area we've gained a lot more traction in in the last five years. Uh, where business owners are really seeking us out for right. that advice. And when we talked, when you were offering or you were telling, hey, this is what I do, I was like, that's phenomenal. Because sometimes, and I'm not, I'm using it as generalizations, but the CPA doesn't have the same thing in mind as the financial planner or even, you know, someone who, like me, I'm on the bleeding edge of risk. I will burn it down. I will, I, I don't mind being out there and going, I've lost however many dollars because. I think that's how you mean being bold in life is how you get places. So, um, you know, sometimes they look at me and they go too far, like that's way too much. But if someone understood my goals, they would go, okay, we have to treat you differently. So um, I think that's a really fascinating part of your business that I can only see growing. Yeah, and, and it, it is where we, we actually looked at all where our revenue came in last year. And from the business owner sector, that was the largest growth area. And it's because of that reason. And to your point, there's a lot of really good CPAs um, that take a forward-looking approach. Mm-hmm. But most of them are wired for the compliance component of exactly. doing the tax return. Yeah. And that involves a lot of, unfortunately, looking in the past. Mm-hmm. What happened last year? Mm-hmm. Let me do my compliance work, and then we're done. Maybe we do a little bit of planning. I think where we come in, where we're really unique, is we don't take a one-year approach to your tax taxes. Sure. We look at this and say, okay, if you're going to be on this planet for another 20, 30 years, how do we minimize your tax taxes paid in for that for that period of time? Not just focusing on any given year. I know CPAs love to come in and say, oh, I saved you money last year. Right. I got you a refund. Right. It's really not our objective. Our objective is saying, how do we lay this out? And I want to have you, you know, help you pay the least amount of taxes over your lifetime mm-hmm. and not just focus on any one given year. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge value. Now, there was something that I wanted to touch on because I think it's a fascinating thing that you do. So uh, the Augusta rule, I use it. Lots of business owners use it. Um, And as I found out from you, there is a very different way to go about valuating your home and going about that process. So walk me through it because there's going to be huge value for business owners and how you go about the process. Yeah. So the the Augusta rule essentially is a nickname for uh, the part of the code. It's IRC section 288G. Mm -hmm. So that's the code. And they gained this Augusta rule name based on actually Augusta, Georgia, where their master's is held. And one of the things that came out of the master's tournaments is that there's no lodging there. So when all the guests you know, uh, go to the golf tournament, they actually have to find places to rent. So mm-hmm. homeowners will rent their homes out to, they'll all kind of bunk up or leave the town and right. they'll rent their homes. It's a mass exodus and then a mass entrance. Right, yeah, they, they, yeah. they, 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 they rent it out. And, and then the section two, uh, 280A, um, 288G is that it basically allows a homeowner to rent their home up to 14 days tax-free. Right. Once you get to the 15th day, all of it is taxable. Right. And so one of the things that's important to know um, is that the you know any of the strategies we talk about today, especially around taxes, you got to you know the, it's really important you talk to your tax professional. So you know we'll talk about this in a vacuum, but we don't know about people's goals. Of course, so it's really important to make sure they're talking to their accountant about how this works. And so how we use how we utilize the Augusta rule for clients is that the reality is if we can rent our home for up to 14 days tax free, we all can hear okay, there's a tax benefit to that. So yep. how does that apply to an entrepreneur? How does that apply to a business owner? So uh, basically, what we've really encouraged our business owner clients, and it's twofold because we're such a planning focused firm is that we encourage our business owner clients to take a monthly planning day. So that's 12 days a year where they take a full day away from their business to to work on the important aspects of their business, Mm -hmm. not just in the business, working on the business. And so it's really hard as we know, is if you go into the office, lots of distractions, your team needs you, phone's ringing. So what we encourage our clients to do is take that day out of the office and um, we find that the home is the best place for it. Yeah. So we, you know, some clients will actually go to a hotel for this reason, but to utilize the Augusta rule, you you actually go do it do it yeah. at home, and you have that full un, uninterrupted day on working on the business, and so that gives us twelve, and then we usually pepper in like a semi annual or annual planning day. So right. that's the cadence we built, and so we started this thinking, you know what, that's a good tax write off for our clients. But then what happened is as the client started doing these monthly planning days. The th- all the stress that they were dealing with, all the stuff they never got to, the mm-hmm. stuff that as business owners we know that's really important, but I don't have time because I'm putting out this fire. Right. Those dedicated days now are freeing up people's plate to actually get the important stuff done. I've been doing this for over three years, and I really love it and embrace it because I get those times to really work on the business. Do you invite any of your like upper-level management to be a part of it, or is it just you? 
they've so far they've just been me, but I have clients who are implementing it where they'll bring their their leadership team together right. and do that. We have structured leadership meetings, so this kind of takes this takes a different uh, purpose for me. Sure, it's really that time for me to work on strategies Got it. and strategic thinking. Um, and so where we're a little bit unique on the Augusta rule is then how we figure out well what's a fair market value. So and this is where a lot of people are going to see value. Almost everybody uses Airbnb or VRBO to get their daily rate, including myself, and that's what you see all through the internet. So from there, how do you guys do it? So in terms of uh, utilizing the Augusta rule and documentation, because the most important thing is if you're going to utilize the Augusta rule, there has to be a business purpose Mm -hmm. that your business is renting your personal residence from you and paying a fee for that. So the business purpose in our mind is a monthly planning day. Mm -hmm. And then from there, then the documentation. How do we determine what's a fair market value rent? So we've done a couple things. So we partner with a local uh, locations company, and they basically will give us a quote. They'll say, if I'm going to rent this Mm -hmm. uh, this house and put it on my website where a studio can actually access it to uh, rent it for purposes of any kind of filming, here's what the daily rate is. So they'll give us a quote that says, we'll likely put this on our website between let's say four to seven thousand dollars, right? So we, now we have a baseline of what I could rent this for if I wanted to do filming at my house. Mm-hmm. Then what we also do on top of that is we'll do fair market value rent around. Well, what would it cost if I went to a hotel? Right. So if I wanted to go to a hotel and do this because my home was not an option, what would that cost me? And so what we we generally put in our planning days is if I'm going to do some work, I actually need to have a desk, and, and, and right. so I can't just have a traditional hotel room. And then if I want to do an, a full uninterrupted day, I actually need to stay two nights. Because if I check into yeah, a hotel get, yeah, right. at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I, I can't. If I want to start my day 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. and have a full planning day, I need two nights at the hotel. So then right. what we'll do is we'll look at comps in the area, usually within about a 100-mile radius. And so that way we'll, we'll figure out what's the... What's a, what are some of the hotel comps look like, and then we have then we build a fair market value tool, mm-hmm. and that'll give us a sense of okay, what's the what's a what's a range? So we see people utilizing you know on the low end maybe a thousand twelve hundred a day. We'll even see people push the envelope a little bit up. We start getting uncomfortable above like of course. you know four thousand or so, right? Uh, but it just depends on the size of the house. And, 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 Location, and the business all of use, the purpose, yeah. all of that. And that's where it's really important you talk to your accountant about, okay, what's what's reasonable? Because you want to make sure you're doing things within of the code course. and make sure you're doing something reasonable. So for me, just because after we had our meeting, I was like, what would I go, what would my house go for in the area? There is filming all over my area. And so I called one of those location places and they told me about 3000 a day. Okay. I only take 500 right now because that's the Airbnb rate that's going. That is a huge tax difference when I'm looking at it through the year. That is tax-free money that I can just take to the bank that I don't have to worry about. And it's a write-off to my business on top of it. That's a huge gap that people, I think, need to look into. Obviously, you have the documentation plan where you can say, hey, look, you have to be a part of your 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 group to get this, though, correct? Yeah, we, have, yeah we have clients that... That because of the, the services we offer, that we this is part of our overall services. But we also have some standalone pricing depending on if sure. just wants us to help with that. I would pay for it, right? Like, I mean, the amount – and we have three owners now that we can all do different things and we can all use that to our benefits. And I look at it and go, okay, L.A. is one thing because you can get a film location. But what about someone who isn't as, like – industry heavy in those certain states and yeah, cities. You're probably going to get a lower daily rent to be honest and, sure. and then you then the hotel might be a, a better comp. A better comp. So it might just it just might uh, you know affect the ability to do that. And so one of the things yeah. with the Augusta rule as well, if you have a second home, that can serve as that purpose as well. You can't double dip though. So it's 14, right. 14 days total. per taxpayer. So if you right. had a vacation home by the beach that usually rented for more and uh, let's say you were not renting it though out, you were actually just it's just personal use. Right. Then a second home can be could be useful. Uh, useful because a lot of people say, "Oh, I'll just use my rental property." That doesn't work right. because now you'll 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 actually surpass the fourteen days mm-hmm. and then it's no longer tax free. So be careful with the some of the rules on there. The other thing to be mindful of is you have to be an entity. So. Uh, corporate corporate entity, S corp and C corp primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, the LLC is, uh, filing as a sole proprietor, no. Doesn't if work. You're just okay. Schedule C sole proprietor, no. Okay. So it has to be an entity. LLC as a corp, same thing. That's okay. Okay, so, so that works as long as you're a corp. Partnerships right. are a little trickier. I would I would lean towards no, but that's something else. Talk to your accountant about that. And that's the the big reason is if you think about it, you as an individual is different than your corporation. Correct. So that's why that works. But if you're social, if it's tax sole ID proprietor, numbers, it's yeah. the same thing. Exactly right, because you're using different you know tax ID numbers and socials and all that, which in the insurance world, we kind of use that delineation too. We insure things different based on the entity. If it's the same person, I have to treat it different than 
the business and to be able to separate it. The key is business purpose and documentation. Right. And then there's you know, the things that you you technically have to issue a 1099 because you know that if you pay anyone, of course. any non-business over $600, you get a 1099. So there's a, there's some actually technical components around doing it right. We know we see a lot of people do it wrong. Um, and the reason why you do it right is so that if you get audited, you have the documentation, you have the purpose. Exactly. And whenever you're dealing with tax strategies, you want to be making sure you're doing everything Buttoned in up. terms of, yeah, you got to cross your, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's. You have to do mm -hmm. that. And that's where people get into trouble. And I think that's why a lot of accountants aren't comfortable doing it of because course. I might say, you know what, we're going to embrace this monthly planning day. I'm doing this. I'm documenting. I have an agenda. I know mm -hmm. what I'm covering. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. And a lot of business owners are saying, yes, I want the deduction, but no, I'm not going to do the work. <laughs> and then it becomes an issue because now yeah. the accountants are put in a tough position of like, I know you're not doing this, but you're getting a write-off. And that's where it really comes down to those people who embrace this idea of, I want to run my business more effectively. Mm -hmm. I like the tax write-off that I'm getting, of course. but I'm going to embrace using utilizing this day to help actually make my business better. Yeah, I mean, gosh, on the insurance side, we see this on different lines of business, like, hey, I need the coverage for it, but I do none of the requirements that are needed to get the coverage. Well, it's one or the other. You can't have both. Now, I know also for accountants, they have to sign the dotted line that this is accurate. So it puts them in a weird position when you're not documenting. I show up with a bunch of things, go, hey, write this off, no receipts. It's it just, it's work. the same thing. Uh, so I just think people can understand it when there's value. Uh, I feel like something like this, especially with what you're giving them to go here, like, here's the blueprint, just fill in the dotted lines. I think there's so much value there. Yeah. We're going to put a link down for it so they can reach out to you for this and okay. kind of how you structure it. Cause I think you can provide so many people with immense value. So I really love it. Uh, and we're probably going to use it. Yeah. Okay. Greyhawk's well, going to take yeah. that on. And the <laughs> other thing too is I have a short, like it's like a seven or eight minute video actually explaining to the accountants how we do it because a lot of times they're uncomfortable and then they hear the process like, okay, that makes sense. And then, and so, because you got to get buy-in. Like of course. when you're working with any entrepreneur, any business owner, their professional team is critical, right? You have the insurance, you have the financial services, you have the accountant, you have the attorney. You want to make sure everyone's working together. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, sometimes it's hard because we say, here's a good idea and we get resistance on the back end. But that's why it's getting that team to work together and understand the purpose. So another question, why don't you pull in someone that does the actual CPA accounting work? Like, I know you don't do inside. it right now. Yeah, inside. Because you have a way of doing things. You're attracting business owners. Why not? Or is that just not a part of the plan today? It's not part of the plan today. I don't know if I, I don't. I, I never want to rule anything out, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, but I also I really, I really appreciate being in a role of a quarterback for a client, and mm -hmm. that's what we view as a as the professional seat that we sit in. We really view that our job is a quarterback. So I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And that means my training goes fairly deep on taxes, insurance, estate planning, right. investments. And so we have this broad-based knowledge. And so a lot of times we become that conduit for the client, right? Clients, they you know they have their complicated financial life. They yeah. don't know all these pieces. Well, we're well-trained in all these areas. Now, we don't do the insurance work, but we understand how they work. Right. So then we're a good advocate for the client. And so the reason why... I, I don't know if I would want to bring in the accounting work in is because now all of a sudden, instead of being in the quarterback role, we're starting to take over those responsibilities because we could do probably outside of legal, we could do insurance. We could, I mean, we could do, we could add all these services, sure. but I also like, I think clients benefit from having a team where, where we're working together. And then I, I also feel like sometimes you dilute your value when you try to do too much. That's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, and that I completely agree with, you know, when we thought about going into the financial space, I was like, we're insurance agents, that's a whole nother ball game. It's another world of compliance. It's something that takes your focus off of what you're good at. So I, I really understand that part of it. And I think if we found the right person, the right opportunity, or if we started looking and we just yeah. meshed with somebody and that this is how we found a really good tax uh, pr uh, professional that synced up with our, mm -hmm. our view of the world and how we help clients, then I would not be opposed to that. It's definitely not on our short-term or even long-term roadmap. Okay. But, you know, no, you, that's you fair. You never say never. That's fair. No, and I, I appreciate that. And you have to know what you're good at. We always talk about entrepreneurial strengths is knowing what you're good at and doubling down on it. A lot of people get lost in the little carrots that they see in other places and it distracts them from the full meal. Uh, and so I, I totally get what you're saying about not being distracted. So I think it's a really good point. Yeah. And one of the things that we also, um, we also do for the 401k market. And sure. so one of the things we are big proponents of, I think we've been living through the last five years where everybody wants to bundle everything together. Cause in the client's mind, they think, okay, if I bundle this, it's going to be easier on me. Well, what happens is when you bundle it all, oftentimes it's not cheaper because now you have a fully, you know, you kind of have a captive, a captive client who's yeah. like stuck. Mm -hmm. 
And also, if if one of the people that are involved aren't doing their job, you you can't really fire one of the, you can't right. fire a professional if you're all right. integrated. And so that's why our preference usually is is build a strong team, right? Have a defined benefits broker, have a four hundred one k person, have a TPA, have defined roles, right. have a good payroll company, and make sure those are all in their own lane. And ha- but with technology, they are all integrated. It's easy, so now, they can yeah. talk to each other. Yep. And that was, I think, a big issue that clients had is that, well, if I if I have to manage this, this is a lot more work. Mm-hmm. And so our that's one of the reasons why that's kind of our preference of being in a quarterback role is that if your payroll company stops working, fire yeah, you take that piece of the pie out, and, put another one in. Put another one in. Yeah. If, you, if you bundle it, you run the risk of when you're unhappy, you got to blow up the whole thing to start over. We were with the PEO previously, and I think we told you this, and it was the health insurance piece that was letting the whole thing down. And you're like, man, all the other stuff is fine, but the only way to get out from the issue was to completely leave the setup. So to your point, we saw it, we lived it, and it would have been so nice to just fix the health part. Doesn't work like that. So we talked about kind of the emerging market for you is kind of doing this tax planning for business owners and other people. What's been your bread and butter? Yeah, I mean, our bread and butter when we started was focusing on retirement planning. Sure. Right. You you know, and it was pretty, it's pretty interesting now looking back. I didn't have this kind of clarity. I wish I did early on. It was the empty nester where they started, husband and wife had this sense of, okay, I don't want to work forever. We've been focusing the last 20 plus years on our kids. Mm-hmm. Now what? And the now what usually is very, it can be constrained by finances, right? So they would then come in with 10 years to work or 15 years to work. And that was our big market because people, there was a pain point around, I know I don't want to go at the same clip. I mm-hmm. want to start enjoying life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the challenges. If you, if, if people who haven't done planning in the past, they don't have, they have a lot of guilt around money. What I mean by that is that we all kind of know, maybe I shouldn't spend more because I should be saving and I should right. be investing in my future. But the beauty of planning is once you quantify what your needs are, then you it actually frees you up to be to, to make better decisions. Because sure. if you're already funding your retirement and you're fully funded, then you get to actually spend more today. Right. And why wouldn't we want to do that, right? Because when we're in our 50s, we're probably young, we're younger and healthier than we're going to be when we're maybe 75. Of course. And you can't take all this money with you. So that's been our, our core market is the retirement planning space because there's such a big need. It also has pretty clear uh, boundaries. We know what we're solving for. We're like, okay, <laughs> sure. you're 50, you're going to, you know, we, you're going to retire at 65. So it's fairly a mathematical process. And you asked earlier, like, what's our specialty? I mean, we're, our firm is, 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 I don't know if it's unique, but what makes us who we are is that we're a healthy mix of like caring and processes. Like we care about our, our people internally. Mm-hmm. We care about our clients. Like then you'll see that if you work with our company, we care about our the, the people we serve, but we're heavily process focused. And so sure. sometimes it might seem very automated and very like diligent around how we do stuff, but that's like, how, I don't know how else we that's do kind what of the we point. do. Yeah. It is the point. Yeah. So the behind the scenes is very methodical. The, the outward, what you see is the caring component. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people like working with us is they know we're technically strong, but we speak at their language. Right. We care to, you know, we care about the things that are important to them. So you talked about the 50 year old ish. What about someone who rolled in like me, 33 guns blazing? Like what does the plan look like or how is it different for someone that's younger? And by the way, I think people should be starting that conversation way before that part. But again, I know not everyone has a luxury. I know not everyone has the foresight for it. Numbers compound year over year. So the earlier you do something, the better off you will be. It's staggering, right? Have you ever seen some of those like Roth IRA uh, calculators where if you would have just funded it from like 16 to 22, you'll have like $2 million Mm -hmm. by the time you reach like... Yeah, you started at 42 and it's like, where where did all the money go? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so younger people is an interesting dynamic. So I I think our our entire um, industry has been catering only to people who have money now. Right, because the, the 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 traditional setup in, in any of the big brokerage firms, like the Merrills and the Morgan Stanleys, all sure. these big firms, they really get paid to invest your money. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have money, they can't really get paid. Mm-hmm. So where we're unique in that is we have a lot of clients who we don't manage any of their money. We just charge a planning fee based on what their planning needs are. So if they need tax planning, they need long term financial planning, they need maybe guidance on what to do with their kids' education. Right. We can actually just charge a planning fee and help them in these areas because there, as an entrepreneur, your your money's either going to your family or back into the business. And so, <laughs> yeah, but true. you still have a need around some of these complex yeah, of issues. Course. So that's how we're helping young people is we can do the work, but we just charge a planning fee. Versus- and they will have the money at some point. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the that's the part where maybe I get lost is like how do you because to your point like. 
I tell them what I have in the bank to spend on investments and people are like, yeah, I can help, but they're not that excited about it. Now you look at the net worth in my business and you go, well, it's obviously more worth it for me to double down into that. Yeah. Um, but and I that, think that's a yeah. good place. And that's the fun work for me because I came from the, that, those roots. And so mm -hmm. I know I'm 48 now, but when I started the business, I was 28. So I, I live that path. So mm -hmm. I totally appreciate what people are going through. And that's mm -hmm. why we set up our model to be able to charge a, a, a planning fee. Right. Because you have planning needs. Exactly. And especially in the area of taxes, sometimes it's hard for me to, to quantify, well, how much value can I provide today when we compound that money 30 years from now? But if we're doing good tax planning, yeah. then I can quantify like, hey, by implementing a few exactly. of these strategies like the Augusta rule, like payroll optimization and doing proper retirement plan design, we can quantify how much we can save in taxes. And then it's kind of a no brainer because we charge a planning fee to the business, which is usually deductible. It's a deductible. You're right. It's a deductible, so, which I didn't think about until you said it. It's exactly right. So what's weird is as I've got gotten older and, and, and the business is more mature, my clientele is actually getting like younger. And Ooh. I think it's because we're attracting the business owners because I have mm -hmm. experience to offer. When I was 28, I had no experience <laughs> to offer, right? I was, sure. I was just starting myself. Well, we're seeing younger and younger entrepreneurs on the insurance side. We're rolling into manufacturing businesses with 20-something-year-olds where like I would never have thought that would be a thing 10 years ago. All I ran into was 55-year-olds when I was going into manufacturing businesses or whatever it was. General contractors, a lot of those guys are retiring. I'm seeing young people owning these businesses, and that's really encouraging in a certain sense. Entertainment and being able to access money through YouTube and all the different like entertainment markets has kind of brought that wealth number down, mm -hmm. it seems like. So that's kind of where I was going is to see if your clientele is shifting because mine are. I would assume yours kind of follows closely. It is shifting. And so one of the things that we always offer as well is like if we're not the right fit, we'll get you to the right place. Right. A lot of times I can just say, do you know make sure you fund your Roth IRA commit to a certain amount into some sort of college savings sure get make sure you you know talk to your insurance agent and make sure you get the right insurance and to protect your family and then just do those basic things start building up emergency cash get mm -hmm. paid down and then you know what circle back with us in a couple of years and we'll you know because at some point it's like if I'm charging you 500 a month and, and I can't add that much value I, I don't feel in good conscience to actually give you that to, I can I'd rather spend 20 minutes giving right. you some some kind of quick advice that's free get you started in the right direction and then once it gets more complicated, because that's where we thrive. When things get a little bit more right. complicated, that's when we can really move the needle. There's a lot of goodwill to doing that as well. I think people mistake that with, well, I'm not making money today, so it's not good. Wrong play. Right? You're creating a lot of goodwill. Most of the time, those people probably will call you back. I'm amazed. Like We'll get referrals from somebody who did, we they didn't engage us, but we gave them some advice, and then we'll get a referral. Like, oh, so-and-so told mm -hmm. me to call you. And I'm like, that's amazing. There it is. But you, and it comes back to that whole caring mentality. Mm -hmm. It's like, we want to take care of people. And that's one of the things too, when we look at like who like the ideal client is for us, a big part of it is they have to delegate their, you know, they don't, they don't have like the time or the desire or the, right. you know, to, <laughs> to do play quarterback. Do. Yeah. But also, uh, when we're, when we're looking through the, uh, I don't know, the, the dynamic of that, the right fit, it's legacy minded people. Like sure. when we, when I sit down with someone who's really legacy minded, that those are, those pe people are speaking my language. When right. I say legacy minded. They care about their company legacy, mm -hmm. they, they care about their family legacy, and they care about their community. And so those are the people, when they come in, I'm like, they're going to be the right fit for us because mm -hmm. they just have a different mentality around the world. They want to help their community, they want to help their family, but they also want to make sure they run a really good, healthy company. We present that for life insurance. We kind of treat these like three buckets that really call for your money, government being the one on the right, family being the one in the middle, and then like the, you know, we call it the goodwills, the, whether it's your church, whether it's a community organization, whether it's a charity, where, in your opinion, would you want to give all of your money or most of your money? It's usually the charity and the family. You're mm -hmm. trying to give as little out here as possible for the most part. I like that. I right? never thought about it in those buckets. Well, so that's like what that. they all fall into. And we're just trying to go, look, how do we plan on the insurance side to get as much over here to the people that you want to give it to? Because the government, like it's there, it's necessary, but you're not just trying to give them money for the most part. Mm -hmm. So we kind of create the same word picture, so to speak, so people can understand where we're going while we're trying to help them with the insurance aspect of it. Um, and we got linked up through insurance, actually. You were talking to Nicole Rex, I believe, and you were Correct. looking for a PNC agent or benefits. Because we do P both. PNC, yeah. Okay. So it was PNC. And at the end of the day, it was, I don't even know if it was a particular person. It was just like, <laughs> we like you know, I guess like-minded people like Nicole, how she looks at her business, how yep. she treats her people. Mm -hmm. I, I, I connected with her and then she just said, oh, there's a great firm in your neighborhood. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know them. And mm -hmm. so then she connected us. So. Right. And I love, we love her. So we have a ton of work with her. We line up with everything and we work so closely together now. It's not a shock that we got connected and that we were fairly like-minded. Mm -hmm. So that's been really cool. One thing you mentioned that we didn't really touch on was payroll optimization. Uh, we try and 
we tried, I should say, to do that on our own. Same thing. We're like, we can only get so far with TikTok and social media giving us information. Uh, where do you see business owners being inefficient in that? And how do you guys help them optimize that side? Yeah. So on payroll optimization, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in there. So this is not, this is not a simple conversation. And it should be, but it's weird. It's not. It's like, it's not, it's not simple and it's not linear. Like mm-hmm. I can't give you step by step. Right. So a lot of times what happens when I sit down with a business owner, they're underpaying themselves. So we see that too often. And when I say underpaying, meaning they're not taking enough wages, W2, the W-2. Yeah. and they're getting most of their income just through profits, right. right? Through a K-1. Yep. And unfortunately that's a, that's one of the biggest red flags out there. So mm-hmm. if you're constantly doing that, be prepared to get audited. So that's first and foremost. And most business owners don't want to get audited. So we sit down and if we see they're not paying themselves enough in wages, then we know that you're you're going to be putting yourself, you are putting yourself at risk. Right. So then from there, the impact of not paying yourself, if you want to fund retirement accounts, if you're not paying yourself enough in W-2, it limits your ability right. to put money into 401ks, right. Roth 401ks, those types of mm-hmm. plans. So that decision is a critical one. Well, on top of that, you have to also do what's called a reasonable compensation analysis. For that where Job, right. For that job, right? Like if you were not the owner and in this position, what would you have to pay someone? Right. So it has to be comparable. And a lot of times, companies are running afoul of that same issue. So mm-hmm. we get into the weeds, and there's not a perfect formula for that, and that's the hard part. Right. There's a few tools that we use, uh, but there's still not a black and white answer. There's still a lot of gray areas. So right. When I talk to accountants, they'll say, "Okay, we like to target." 40% W-2, 60% wages, or uh, a K-1. And then some people are 60% W-2 and 40%. It's all over the board. Right. So you can't really get good uh, the, the best advice. And so this process for us, it does start with reasonable compensation analysis. It does start with their goals. So if they want to max fund their retirement plans, we need to get their wages to a healthy level. Mm-hmm. And then especially when you have smaller businesses that you know maybe their spouse is working, but actually right. not, re- not really on payroll. They're just doing work you know, is that in your case, right? She helps you with, with work, but is not on payroll. Well, there's actually a a benefit of putting her on payroll because she is doing the work, put her on payroll. And there's actually some pretty good tax savings by doing that. There's also, we have a lot of businesses where that legacy mindset of getting their kids to work in the business, Mm -hmm. you know, and people try to do it when their kids are like one years old, that's not reasonable. Right. Like, you know, maybe when they get into junior high or high school, they can actually do something. And so paying them. So if you have a child that let's say is 17 years old and doing enough work, Let's say that it's $1,000 per month of pay based on the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that essentially, if you're in the highest tax bracket, will save you about $5,000 per kid uh, per year. year. Right. Right. So, but at the end of the day, it's got to be reasonable, meaning they so, have to be doing the work. Let you me have ask to you have this. a job description. You have to be tracking yeah, so hours. Like you, you cannot just use part of the code just to get write offs. Right. You have to follow the rules and make sure that, that it's legitimate that what you're, what you're doing. So, let me ask you this. We use a lot of social media. Obviously, we're doing podcasts, we're doing social media uh, posts. We use our kids for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. They're models to me. That, then you're okay, fine. right? So, but they're five, seven. Then you're you know, okay. I have a two-year-old. I don't do it for the two-year-old. One, I can't even get her a bank account, right? <laughs> so, if I can't get her a bank account, I'm not going to do it. So, I always see that like year five is where I can go. All right, here's your bank account. Then I can start using you as a paid person. Well, the model component is even easier because. If I'm doing, you know, sweeping the floors and filing and shredding documents, yeah, two year old can do that. But there's also a clearly you can't pay someone a hundred dollars an hour for that, right? right? You have to be reasonable. If they're right. a model, you know, they're arguably you could say, hey, there's an actress that's getting paid a you know, hundred thousand dollars for this. So, so there's exactly. actually you, it, it it affords you the ability to actually you know maybe pay ten thousand, twelve thousand, and maximize that right. tax right now. You have to be doing the socials. You have to be doing the posts. Correct. If you just go, here's your thousand a month for my five year old, but not doing it, you're asking. You're asking to find, for trouble. Yeah, for an audit. Yeah, using family photos, whether you know whether it's on websites mm-hmm. and social and all those all those areas. And then I don't know what you're doing with it, but we've had clients that actually weren't clients of ours now, but we're seeing it in hindsight. They were doing this for their kids. They were in a dental practice, and their kids started funding it at basically one, and they were doing all the photos on the you know the teeth and all that on the, on their website. Mm-hmm. And these these girls now have been funding their their Roth since they were basically they're in now their early twenties. They have over two hundred thousand. We modeled this. By the time they're oh, like 65, 65 years old, it's like four or five million dollars. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but so you have to work on the formula. But it's like insane. Exactly. Numbers. We did this on the IUL where all of my kids have IULs. They basically would have roughly three point something at the time of their sixty five on the same track, and they have the insurance, which is yeah, it matches up no at that joke. point. I mean, no, that's, that's and it's all tax free, all tax free growth. So I think that's a, a big part where my generation. I'm just using it for me. We get a lot of information, the snippets off of. TikTok and Instagram and the and YouTube, but it doesn't give you anywhere near enough to get it right. Yeah. So you're talking about, hey, the W-2 part, 
we were guilty of that. We were taking so little, but we we're like, no one was telling us we had to take more. But also so. when you're starting up a business, that's more typical, right? Because you can't pay yourself what your wages should be because your your income isn't Sure. There. We were still doing pretty well pretty quickly. So at that point, someone was like, hey, this doesn't like this doesn't work with your cash flow. Okay. Well, you could have told me six months sooner, yeah. you know, maybe, but um, But you can always do it on a go forward basis. And so the, of course. The, where we really come into this is like we recognize that people can find find this stuff out for themselves. Mm-hmm. The challenge becomes they actually don't do the work. Correct. So a big part of what we do is we have a calculator that can show them, like, okay, if you're paying yourself this much, if you have spouse and children, here is what you here's how to structure it, here's how much tax savings mm-hmm. you're gonna have. And then also we'll help them, like, okay, here's five sample job descriptions. Here's right. some so we give them the That's tools. Huge value. So we give them the packages, say like here's we can't do all the work for them, but we we tee it Still. up so that it's like ready to go so that yeah. we can actually document that. Because that, that's where people get into trouble is like you're utilizing the code and part of the code that is written so that you can do certain things, but then you actually aren't doing the work. So the, the advice is do the work. It makes it a lot easier. Love that. So outside of then the payroll optimization, which I think is a great thing, the Augusta rule, how else are you guys helping business owners on the planning side, optimization side? Yeah, so retirement plan design is a big one, especially for, for uh, smaller companies. Uh, we see too often that people are... I would say kind of max funding their traditional 401k. And if they're younger, using the Roth 401k. I think this year the Roth 401k number is up to, I think it's 20,500. 20, it might be 22,000. Wow. So you can put a lot more in that. Mm-hmm. And so people are, you know, good earning young entrepreneurs are not eligible for a Roth IRA. There are no income oh, restrictions yeah. on Roth 401ks. Fascinating. So that's one of the things that I see too often is people like, oh, I'm saving money today. And especially if they're in like the 22 or 24% federal bracket, I would argue that that money should go into Roth. And so that's the area we're helping to calculate is like, okay, if you are only funding your 401k, what we would advise if you have your spouse on payroll, if she's working with you, uh, in your case, both of you max fund your Roth 401k, which you can both put in almost 50,000 mm-hmm. total mm-hmm. every year. Think about compounding that. Of course. And then use a profit sharing plan to then help with some of the tax deferral if you need some more tax write-offs. Right. So that's an area that we design it. And the thing is, some businesses have very uh, have variable income. So in some years, the traditional 401k makes sense because mm-hmm. they need the write-off. And then right. there's other years where if income is lean, use the Roth. And that's where I think a big mistake people get into is like, my accountant told me to do this 10 years ago. I'm doing the same thing. I was like, your business doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. And you have to make those changes. And that's why the planning component is so important. Like we love starting the year. Like, okay, what did last year look like? What is this year going to look like? And start the planning process early so, so that we true. can build a roadmap out to actually make the right decisions. And we can't make perfect decisions, but no. we're trying to make the right decisions. You're trying to optimize them, which I think is the right play. But even for us, you know, we did really well last year. And the conversation in the last month was spend it down, throw it in your 401k. Like, I think sometimes that is such an easy answer. But for us with the growth model, we're like, I can't decapitalize myself like that. That wasn't the right answer for me. Now, I know why it's a simple answer because taxes is everything for most people, which is not completely true. But if I had someone that was more so on the like, how do I get the big picture of what you're doing and the time you're doing it? It makes a big difference. The Roth 401k for me makes a lot of sense. For me, I I take my own company match, but that's it. Everything else goes other places. I'm trying to get it tax deferred as much as much as possible until I'm at that certain number where I'm like, I have to be using the 401k to utilize some of the tax benefits there. But I'm not just trying to overfund my 401k and that's it. Well, and we actually talk a lot of people out of uh, max funding their 401k, depending on their situation. So the Roth, again, if they can, you should Mm -hmm. do it. Like I'm always a big proponent. If you think of the three buckets outside of, let's talk outside the insurance world, because I know you probably add even another bucket on there. But we have just your pre-tax money, which Mm -hmm. would be like a 401k, IRAs, SEP IRAs. And then you have your taxable, which is anything you've already paid tax on. Mm -hmm. And then you have your Roth accounts, right? Where insurance might fit into that, right? Right. Because you can borrow the money out of Mm -hmm. there tax-free. So you have your Roth. If I could shift all the money from my taxable account or from my uh, pre-tax to the Roth and do that tax efficiently, I would do that all day. Like you want as much money money on the the tax-free side Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people will get caught up in this. Well, my business doesn't have the cash flow to sustain me funding my Roth. I said, yeah, but you have 500,000 in cash or in some other Mm -hmm. asset or 100,000. Just move it, change buckets. Move it into the tax-free exactly. account. So yeah. <laughs> having having that mindset, I think, is really important. And too often, people aren't looking at it. So mm-hmm. it, general advice that we give is if you look at all the tax rates, we have a 10% bracket, 12%, 22 24 right. 
and I don't know, 32, 20, yeah, 30, 35, yeah. and 37, I think it is. So we, we advise, especially young people, when you're in the 24% bracket or lower, which a married couple I think is taxable income below 350000 you should not be max funding your 401ks because we believe 24% is a gift of a low tax bracket and that you fast forward 20, 30 years from now when you need that money, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. Yeah, and they're not going down, doesn't seem like. Those taxes are only going to go up, so... We always think of the issue of like, all right, it's 37 now, but what if it's 45 in the future? Like you're you're compounding that issue again. Well, and you're compounding it. So if, if yeah. you're young enough and you put 20,000 in and your money can double, let's say every every 10 years, mm-hmm. that means we fast forward your 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 20 now goes to 40, mm-hmm. then to, then to 80, then yeah. to 160, and you're paying tax on the 160. Correct. Where you could have just paid tax down here mm-hmm. on the 20. Yep. And so I think that's where a lot of the financial tools and calculators that we have can illustrate that, so then people can say, okay, I know this is how I'm wired. To, to make dis, uh, make a decision and we try to change their mind. And we have to do that a lot with accountants because accountants will I'll send a, they'll give me a draft tax return. They have a client max funding their set mm-hmm. and I'm like, they didn't make enough money. Right. Like I want, I'd rather have them have more money in the bank. Right. And that to me, now, as we continue to talk the quarterback there, because again, if you just let the, the tax guy make the decision, it's all about tax there, which can lead you into some positions you don't know the negative consequence of like today, but it will show up later in life. So it's making more and more sense while you're not in the weeds on that stuff and you're playing quarterback. Yeah. And, and I think that comes down to the planning component, mm-hmm. right? So we, because we have a long-term a picture of what the client's goals are, we yeah. can then help them make those decisions. Most other professionals don't understand what a client's 10, 15, 20 year goals are. They understand what the goals are today. It feels like an advocate too. Sometimes when you're on your own, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Someone's telling me who's a professional. I don't have anybody else advocating for me, which it kind of seems is like what you're also doing in that situation. Yes. And in terms of looking at some of the other tax planning mechanisms that we use, or at least ways that we help our clients, um, we've been building this, like what we call a tax due diligence process, right? So that's an internal process that we follow when we get a tax return and going through and double checking the data. Sure. And so we're double checking. Um, you know, obviously if they have money with us, we're double checking, make sure they picked up gains and income right. properly, but then we're going through and we identify all of our clients. What are the tax opportunities they're taking advantage of uh, that are parts uh, that's part of their tax strategy. And we'll go through the return and make sure everything gets picked up because the reality is most business owners and most people, they give all their, if they're, if they have an accountant, mm-hmm. they hand their tax organizer mm-hmm. to the accountant. The accountant does their math has, here's what you owe. You sign it electronically. You don't even know what's in there. And so we've found that there's a big gap, that there's uh, the accountants don't have the time to go through, nor do clients want to pay for this. And so we view that as kind mm. of upon us is like, we need to be part of that. And so we're actually going through and re-reviewing all of our clients' tax returns for 2021, because we only reviewed about half, because we're trying to find the actual number so far. And again, this is not an audited number, but we found we about almost about a half a million of overstated income. And so we got, I think it's about 175,000 of tax refunds by going through this process. I mean, that's amazing amounts of value for your and we're, and we're getting some pushback from CPAs because I don't think they like oh, us checking, which is kind of hard. But so now we've kind of we've taken the approach when new business owners hire, hire us is you need to file an extension, pay your taxes on time, file an extension. Right. Your ta- you, know, you got to file your corporate extension by March 15th, your individual by April 15th, and then you have time. So now and I've always filed an extension because I want to meet with my accountant in like July when it's quiet, when I can actually have a <laughs> when they conversation. Have time too. Yeah. Right. And so. The goal with that is get us a draft return about a month ahead of time so we can run it through. And so because oftentimes what happens is after the tax has been filed, now it's got to be an amendment, mm-hmm. which amendments a lot worse. Like mm-hmm. get it. So we, we've been trying to request and we have very low compliance at this point. So that's why building this tax due diligence process that we can clearly define what we're doing right. is so important because otherwise clients are like, no, it's fine. That's what I have my accountant for. And we've been doing it kind of just part of our service, but we realize there's a lot more value there so and, value. and people don't really understand it. So that's why we're trying to build this out. Fascinating. You were talking about some other portion of like as far as like tax planning and, you know, I always think of real estate as this way to... One, as a tax strategy, use it for depreciation and do your cost segregation analysis. How often are you looking at people and going, we've kind of used all the tools, we don't have a lot left, like maybe property? Are you ever advising that? Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, real estate, it has to be part of your wealth bucket. It should be, yeah. Right, when you think about it, you have your cash bucket, which is your liquid assets, mm-hmm. you have your insurance bucket, you have your retirement bucket, you have your primary like real estate personal use assets, right? and then you have your real estate, which, and then maybe the next bucket is your company, right? So real estate definitely should be a component, um, but you have to have more wealth than the average person because it's illiquid. 
right? And so, yeah. but, but real estate is a great tool because of the tax benefits, right? The depreciation alone can really offset some pretty big uh, tax bills. Yeah, and we see it a lot on social media. Just put as little down as you can on it. You can get this much of a write-off. Look at how well you're using leverage. I think sometimes that advice is a little loosely given. Uh, putting as little down as possible and try not to cash flow it and not doing a good you know analysis of the deal makes me nervous all for the tax break. I'm sure you're not saying those kind of things, but it's also good to know that it is a strategy that someone like you would say, hey, maybe you should start looking into buying something in a smart way. Yes, absolutely. And the, the challenge becomes is pricing. You know, when everything is going up how it had prior to this past year, yeah. it, you can make dumb decisions and still make money. And so the Which reality is, is now it's tougher, right? People who bought a year ago are, are, and don't have a right kind of mortgage, maybe you got lot, you know, maybe have a variable loan or something like the construction still, loan yeah. started a year ago that are coming due. Those are going to be really difficult for people. Yeah. So you still have to be smart there. The one thing, real estate investors and business owners need to hold a little bit more cash. And I hate holding cash because it's not earning money. Me too. Um, so when I talk about <laughs> cash, yeah. I mean cash uh, liquidity sources. So it could be cash value in a life insurance mm -hmm. policy that you can mm -hmm. get if you need it. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be a line of credit that you have on your personal residence. It right. could be a line of credit that your business has. So I don't mean just sitting on cash that's burning a hole in your pocket. But you got to have access. You yeah. got to have access to cash, and you get it when you don't need it. Because when you need it, nobody will late. give it to you. It's too late. I've said <laughs> this. So I have line of credit. I have the cash value. Uh, we're doing it for the business to have a line of credit. And part of people are like, "Why are you doing that?" I'm like well, I don't really need it now, but that's the point. Like eventually the day will come where I'm going to need it and I can't wait for however long it's going to take to process the loan. What are the interest rates going to look like? What's my qualification going to look like? There's all those factors I'm taking off the table early. So I've always done that. I did a full house remodel on credit cards, 0%, got the line of credit, got a 0% thing on that. I think for 36 months, I didn't pay a dime of interest, wow. right? So like there's tools. If I did it too late though, it wouldn't have existed. So, but we, you also had to have the income to back it, right? So that's sometimes the challenge people get course. into is they they make the investment, but they don't have the liquidity to support it. So right. if you, you know, and I know through COVID, you hear horror stories about people who they're they still have to make their mortgage payment. Yeah, their tenants not paying them. Yeah, so that's one of the things that's it's it's a lot more liquidity heavy if mm -hmm. you're going to be a real estate investor, and because vacancy issues remodel issues. Yeah. You have to be prepared for that. Of course. Of course. But it's good to know that that's part of the plan. Uh, it's always been on my mind to buy something. You bought a commercial space that I thought was fascinating. It's a beautiful office space, by the way. Did that come out of necessity to do something like that? Or was it just, this is a cool opportunity and I want to own this building? Well, I think it was not a necessity, but I was getting tired of being in a smaller office that I kept having to pay like I was getting five and 6% increases. And I'm like, sure. this started to become a big number after right. being in the same space. And right. so a small office opportunity came up. And then during COVID, we were able to double, double our space in the same building. And plus, you can spend money on nicer things. You yeah, can it's make yours. it look nice. Yeah. It's yours. And so- You don't worry about re rinse and repeating five years later when that lease is up or whatever it is. And it's a big part of culture too. I, I, you know, I can't attribute our growth to this, but- you know, clients come in and they're like, you're yeah. here. You're not, and Correct. especially in the financial world. Like, yeah, of course. Financial world, people are entrusting us with their life savings. Mm -hmm. and we have to be good stewards of that. And we are fiduciaries. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we have our own registered investment advisor. We act as fiduciaries. So we have to act in our client's best interest. But at the end of the day, when we had that building, I think our we our growth actually went exponential because people started to realize like, okay, this Heavy is- Heavy roots. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. That's our next step. We talked about it at Greyhawk. It's like, we want to buy something and we want to put long-term roots down and- I don't treat my rental the same way as I treat my home. That's just the reality. Mm -hmm. So I want to have a home for the office. Um, but anyway, is there anything else you would like to add? I mean, you had a last question yeah. on their opinion of the economy. That's yeah. a lot to unpack. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> That's a heavy one. But like give big chunks of future how you see it playing out. Nobody has a, a crystal ball, so I don't want to pretend like I do. But when we're looking at the world, and we've been saying this for like, the, I, I basically last June did a webinar, said we're in a recession and why it's a good thing. And the whole reason why I said why it's a good thing is we got to a point where it was like Stranger Things. It was like the yeah. world was upside down where yeah. people didn't want to get go to work. Mm -hmm. Employers couldn't find people. They the People who were coming wanted more money than they were likely worth. And we, and we needed a reset. We needed a shakeup. Price, home prices were going through the roof. Crypto was going through. It's almost like anything you touched was, was making yeah. money. And it created a lot of bad habits. It did. So we needed a reset. Mm -hmm. So we're in the middle of a reset, which I think is really healthy long term. You don't want to go in one direction forever without some level of pain because that creates humility and it creates discipline when there's some pain. We saw so many new watches popping up on social media as new car. And you're like, okay, you're doing well today. You hope you have enough. Sure enough, yeah. all those posts started disappearing of all the nice things and the nice places in Miami they were going. 
It, it, I mean, it's no joke. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, we've been in this slowing economy. We actually saw some decent numbers the last couple quarters. Right. Inflation starting to turn over. So our, our outlook has been we're going to be in a mild recession for, I think, a longer period of time. So when we look back and with yeah. full data, we might be in a two-year recession. But why this is going to be different is that in different industries are going to be cycling in and out of it at a, at a different time. And that is, that's very atypical of a recession. Right. Usually a recession, jobs are lost all at the same time. So mm -hmm. if you lose a job, you have nowhere to go because they're Correct. cutting back. Correct. But if you notice what's happening now is different industries topped out seven, eight months ago, and now they're bottoming and starting to grow again. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing technology layoff. And so you're seeing this very ebb and flow of the economy. And I think that's healthy because people who are motivated and who want to work are going to be able to find They'll jobs. Be there. Right. I and mean, if you talk to business owners, they, can't, they still can't find positions or they can't find people for their positions. And so the reality is we think this economy is going to be uh, shallower than the average person. You, you can't, if you go on the social media yeah. or on, on the web, there's so much doomsday out there. I mean, the world almost never comes to an end. So, right? <laughs> it's like, we're going to be fine, but you have to, we, we advised clients a year ago, build up some cash reserves. Mm -hmm. If you are, if you have a lot of receivables, tighten those up because if you're, if your uh, customer goes out of goes business, yeah, they're not going like, to tighten yeah. all that stuff up. Yeah. And so when you go into environments like this, you know, be a little bit more cautious. So even for myself, I look at some of the, the factors in the economy and I go, there's a lot of negative or like red flags that are there that I go, I don't really want to buy anything for a little bit until I see the chips fall down. And again, for someone on the burning edge like that, it feels like there's a lot of stuff there. I look at the used car bubble. I look at the credit card bubbles. They're definitely out there. People are spending and living off credit cards right now. Mm -hmm. There's no denying All the it. data is supporting it. The last like three month data it's been, has been pretty crazy. So for every dollar saved, there's 480 put on debted credit cards, which means they didn't make the payment, which is scary. Wow. Okay. And then you look wow. at the used car payments and you look at the new car payments, they're up. The average payment is up like $400 a month. That is not sustainable yeah. in a quick period of time. The repos are way up. I look at the housing market and you're like, to buy the same house with the interest from last year to this year, I'm more than doubling my cost. Like, where do you see that changing? Because for a lot of people, like, I'm not in the financial sector, but I can see all the financial red flags. Do you see anything changing with that in the future? Do you see that negatively impacting whether it's a housing market or the, you know, the stock market or anything like that? Well, the bond market is forecasting that rates are going to come back down in, in two they years. They have to. They sprint it up. So, right? so the, the, the Fed has been behind the eight ball. They made some some policy mistakes. I mean, Big time. now that we're looking at, you know, in the rearview mirror, Big it's, time. it's easier. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I think this year is going to be choppier than most. Right now, the January January has been pretty good. So it's yeah, like, it was really oh, it's good. all yeah. clear. Yeah, it's no, not no, all no, clear, no, yeah. Right? There's still some challenges, and I think discipline, especially for investing, is like keep investing methodically. Like I'll have clients who come to me with a maybe a lump sum. I'm like, you know what? Let's just the put dollar this cost in. averaging yeah, is a big cost deal. average. Yeah, because we don't know where the bottom is going to be. And a big part of being a good investor is you can't panic, right? You can't take such an aggressive stance where then at some point you're like, that's too much pain. I need to bail. You have to take it. This it's this, a discipline yeah, issue. You, there. you have to have yeah. a discipline around that, and so. The, the stuff that you're seeing with the, the consumer, the, those are real issues that mm -hmm. are going to manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think what's going to happen, the Fed's going to cut rates at some point, and then you're going to see refinancing boom go again because the people who got these higher rates, are they're going to have to go in and, and basically refi and you know hopefully right-size their balance sheets. Well, hopefully. And I've seen a lot of people who are buying right now on the asset part. I wish I was far enough down the road in the business. I'm just so committed and so deep into the business that I would love to buy real estate right now at six, 7% and then just go, I just got to make the payment mm -hmm. or someone's got to make the payment for me. And then in the future, it will go down and then I'm going to be in an even better position at that point. I'm not there today. It is what it is. Got three kids in private school. I got the business. <laughs> like It's just not the right time. But there's still also a lot of opportunity that's created during this time which I'm sure you have clients who are in those positions where you're pushing them towards those opportunities. Yeah, we're advising them to, if they have cash that's for longer term and we look you know, at least five years out, this is a good time to invest because we believe you know five, seven, 10 years, things are going to be higher. Five, seven, 10 months, have no idea. Sure. Uh, but the, the rea reality comes back to this whole idea of like, when you look at market cycles, the, these are some of the things that I think the average investors don't appreciate enough is when real estate markets tend to peak and then bottom, that's usually a three-year process. So if right. you look back at periods, so we probably can all agree June of 2022 was about the real estate peak. peak for sure. So we probably have, like, get your ducks in a row, get your cash ready, because probably in 2024, 2025, you're going to be finding some good deals. Mm -hmm. The other thing that it's done for home buyers, they can actually wait and buy the home they like. There was too many people in the last two years that just had to buy wave homes. Wave appraisal, wave everything. Yeah, like yeah. they didn't even love it. They just had to buy a house. And so then how, how terrible does that feeling? I had 26 right? people offer on the house we bought. Right? Think of that. And that so, it's crazy. 
So that's the reality. I think good properties are going to hold their value. Not so good properties are going to come down. As they we're going to have it yeah. as they should, right? So we're going to have a reset on that. And then the stock market, you know, it tends to bottom nine months before the economy does. So we're kind of forecasting a, a slow, sluggish economy through the first second quarter of 2024. Sure, there's still a lot of you know, risks that are out there. That in, and so we'll see what happens. So you still don't think there's going to be like this uh, apocalyptic fallout like there was in 2007, eight with the real estate market and mortgages and all that? I don't think so because the, the, the amount of cash on the sideline is still really high. I mean, the, the impact of all that printing of money, it's still out there. And so yeah. I kind of look at what we just lived through as a different dynamic. We went through... Basically, we're going through an asset bubble recession where we're seeing crypto got hammered mm-hmm. by eighty percent. Right, a lot of the growth stocks got. You know, you have even some of the names that everyone knows, like yeah. Facebook and, oh, and uh, Netflix down over 65 percent. Mm-hmm. Tesla lost seventy five percent from its high. Right, so yeah. names that are like mm-hmm. these are really good companies that got hammered because the pricing was just out of alignment. Right. Same with the housing market. So I think we're getting this big adjustment downward, which is good. Tesla came down on their pricing; they slashed the right. heck out of their I car. Know. So I think that's so the nor- normality side. Yeah. is coming back, like right. sanity. It's like Right. The stuff that was happening is, is it was unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like we'll we'll find our roots. You know, politicians will probably mess it up on both sides of the aisle. Probably right? fan, I mean, that's it, probably it, a fascinating it, question. To that, add, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> right? But the the reality, you know, I, I think that it's like just do reasonable things and you're going to be okay. Don't get overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. Stay pretty even keeled, and that's how. I mean, that's the that, those are the patterns I see from my most successful investors that come right. to us. Is like they're just more disciplined. They just they they take an, uh, an investor mentality, right. which means they usually buy stuff and don't really sell stuff. And I don't know if you've read the book, uh, book Profit First. No, a great book on just like you got to pay yourself first. So everyone focus. Everyone like looks at the world and says, whatever's the profit's what's left. It's like no, no you need to have yeah. a mentality of solving for what the profit is. It's like what should the profit be and solve for that. And that's why a lot of business owners get into trouble because they don't have that mindset. They have the mindset like, uh oh, it's December. I need to spend all this money to save taxes. It's like hold on, spend the money if it's going to help you grow your business. Don't spend the money if it's just going to save you taxes. I know there's a ton out there for for all that, but um. Anyway, John, I've really had a good time talking to you. I know we probably went long, but I couldn't stop talking. Um, <laughs> we'd love to have you back in the future. We'll love, hey, you need to start your own podcast. All right, and I'll be on good. that, you know. <laughs> <All> right, <sounds laughs> but good. appreciate your time, my man. And uh, for everyone watching, look out for the next episode. Check out John's information in the link below. And I hope to see you soon.